This is the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast. What would it take for you to double your profits and half your stress with your intuition? Learn how with your host, Michael Light. Hey, Michael. Hey, Carlson. How are you? Man, I'm great. How are you? You sound chipper. I am chipper. I'm in Chiang Mai. That would not be a reason for me to sound chipper, but... <laughs> well, I'm excited about my business intuition book, and it just feels like it is flowing through me very well right now, so... you got to write that flow. What have I got to write? you got to write that flow. Like, when you notice you're in the flow... I mean, programmers use that, right? They say yeah. they're in the flow, and they just keep going. I think that's true for a lot of things. True for everything, like, man. <laughs> like there's just moments where you kind of stand on your tiptoes and you, somehow you can keep standing like longer than you usually would think it possible and you just keep going and going and going. What would it take to be able to stand on your tiptoes any time you want, any day you want to? Well, honestly, I don't believe really in the selective tiptoeing i think it's more of a recognizing when it when you are able to do it and then taking advantage of it it's like a surfer you know it's you can't always surf but what you can do is recognize when the wave comes and with which wave you should ride uh, and I think that's it because I don't believe you can really influence the ocean, but you can, you know, spot the movements and then adjust yourself to that. Um, I think we actually can influence the ocean, but on a lower level, we can choose what beach we're going to stay at. I think that's a good start. I mean, where you set yourself up, I think that's going to be a big influence on uh, the kind of waves you'll be seeing. So there's a conscious choice, right, where you position yourself. Exactly. And who you're with, what other surfers and other people are around. Are you with people that are, are standing on their toes too or excited about surfing or excited about business or whatever the topic is? Or are you hanging around people who drain your energy? I think that's true. You have people who will encourage you who will show you what's possible and you have people who make what you want to do look like it's a bad idea and um, that can hold you back it can so uh, choosing who you're around and the environment you're in what your office is like what your home is like uh, I think that affects the quality of the work a lot absolutely like I think if you uh, look in your fridge you will have a pretty good idea of your ability to keep a certain kind of diet, whatever it may be. I mean, you make that conscious decision of what do you make available to yourself. And I think people overrate self-discipline. Like people think that, oh, I can just decide not to do something. But the decision, the decision does happen, but it happens much, much earlier. It happens at the point where you shop for things that you are going to put in your fridge the moment they're in there they're going to get eaten so um, i think <laughs> the decision i think people like when i talk about you know having a limited as you said it's with a beach and the ocean um 
the decision you have a decision you can make a decision but that decision happens much earlier in the process when you yeah. pick the beach uh, when you pick what to put in your fridge or when you pick who you surround yourself with or when you pick what business model you're going to create that's uh, true that's something I learned from Laura Roda's talk uh, at DCBKK last year that she is like her third business she had and the first two you know while they did okay they couldn't run and grow without her being physically there all the time and she deliberately chose to create Edgar her current business so that even if she wasn't there it would not only run okay it would continue to grow and she she grew enormously in in the first year and three months of that she was on pregnancy leave but it still grew like at a hockey curve rate wow so I think that that reminds me of in a way of Dan Norris, who mm-hmm. is also a member of the DC. And he likes, when he does a talk, he likes to start his uh, talks with the first few years of his employed life and of his entrepreneurial life, just showing that if there was any traction, then it was downward. So what he was doing, he was, he had this web dev company. He was doing web development mm-hmm. and he had this blog and it just didn't look like it was going anywhere. And in a way, yeah, that's because not might not be for factors that are um, that he can influence at this point, but it might just be the nature of the business. Like there is only a limited scope, a limited way to grow. Mm-hmm. And once he changed the business model to something that might have sounded unintuitive at first, but that actually reached people worldwide, it suddenly took really off. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, like his uh, business WP Curve. Mm-hmm which is really for people, you're going to get unlimited WordPress fixes, I think, that don't take more than 30 minutes um, for a flat fee a month. And everybody said like, oh, that's not going to work. He wrote a forum post about that in DC and people were like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And um, it did. And um, <laughs> that, 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 is this, that is the thing. Like you have the people you surround yourself with, even in this super supportive community, uh, people will be, you know, skeptical of things because they're all business owners. They all have seen so many things fail. So sometimes maybe business owners are a bit too skeptical, I think. Can and, be. <laughs> uh, I definitely belong into that. I mean, it's so easy to say, ah, it's not going to work because, you know, many well, times you'll be we right. Well, how about we replace that? Instead of saying how, instead of looking at how all the ways something can't work, what about asking what would it take for this to work in the way I want it to, to, to appear in my business? I think that's a good question. It's an amazing question. You've been using what would it take, right? I don't usually consult people on business. I try to avoid that. <laughs> right, but asking yourself, I'm talking about asking yourself. Because I think wait, I'm, wait, I'm just hmm? going to come back to this. You were saying, you know, we need to be careful who we surround ourselves with and not have naysayers. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's one other person we need to be careful with. We need to be not the naysayer ourselves. That is true. Um, to me, it's a bit of a um, it's a difficult point because. On one hand, I'm very cynical and very, you know, I, I, I don't go for a business unless I think it's a, uh, unless I feel it's a close to certain shot. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I am someone who runs after every shiny ball that, run, that rolls past. 
So I'm like, kind of, it, it's a bit like uh, my attention gets drawn by everything, but my commitment by nothing. Mm. So, um, and that's a difficult spot to be in because what you kind of have to do is focus your attention more and broaden your commitment, which mm. is like, it's like being pulled in two different directions. Well, I mean, back to the surfing, you know, if you look at every wave that comes onto the beach, you'd never pick one to surf. You've got to focus on one wave, pick a good one, and then go for it. Absolutely. And um, I think the... the, the um, I mean, part of it is also to just accept, okay, not every wave you'll pick will be a good one, you know, and you know, that's not the end of the world. And tomorrow there's going to be new waves. As long as you're not on one of those beaches with the five meter high waves. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, but uh, that's the uh, cost of doing business or surfing, I guess. Yeah. I was in terms of, but yeah, this decision making uh, process, I noticed that yesterday. I was walking through a, a food court and I saw there was a, there were two queues. There was one queue for the, the fast lane, so to speak, where people got like, so people get these cards that have where you load money onto them. Then they go to the food stalls and buy food with that and it gets deducted. Mm. And the card handout counters, there were two. One is a standard counter where you walk up to and you tell them how much money you want to load to the card. And the other one is the express counter that is open during rush hour where you only get 100 baht cards, like the $3 loading cards. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that and I saw the standard counter had four people working it and a queue of two people. And the express counter had one person working it and a queue of five people. Mm. I'm like, that does not make any sense <laughs> for anybody to queue up at the express counter because it's slower obviously obviously slower however then i started thinking about what i was thinking I'm like maybe me always you know playing in my head traveling salesman problem and trying to find this absolute optimal course for every single action in my daily life is actually kind of what's part of the whole getting my attention used up by things that don't really matter because literally the difference would have been a 17 second wait so um, well and yeah you know, you, you, it's possible if you've gone into the other line, you might have had a serendipitous connection with someone else in the line. And I also feel, but also because I started thinking about this in the first place, yeah. I feel if I had been wrong, if for some reason I had gone to the queue that looked better and the other queue moved faster, I would have felt like, that was a bad decision. I missed out. So I would be like, that's the, that's the added cost there. Mm. And I guess I just, um, I mean, part of it is of course, you know, just saying like, okay, just realizing, you know, things don't really matter as much as we think they do. And maybe don't sweat the small stuff. Right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a bit of a funny example, but I think these things, we do that a lot in business. Right. I mean, we try I, and optimize everything instead of picking what's the right beach to play our business on. Right. I mean, we had, for example, I mean, I did this little experiment at this conference where I asked people, I'm going to do a cool thing. Um, I don't have any details. All you have to do is write your name on a dollar and give it to me. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, so these are people, many people of them have known me. Many people have seen me. 
all of them know that I, you know, spend at least a thousand dollars a year on this conference slash networking group. So there is a lot of hard data really to say that, okay, someone else in that group giving them a dollar is not much, you know, not much of a leap of faith. First of all, it's one dollar. Second of all, there's a chance they might do something with it and it's going to be interesting. And, uh, I've run actually into resistance. That was interesting. So people were like, no, I'm going to hang on to that dollar. Mm. And, uh, you know, maybe they were no, not convinced of the process or so. But for, I think, some people, they were like thinking, hmm, what would I get out of this? So they have this transactional thinking about the interaction. Like, mm -hmm. what do I give in? What do I get out? And I feel this transactional thinking I mean, is all is very focused on avoiding bad things happening. It avoids getting, you know, losing out, getting taken advantage of, and you know, transactional thinking is a good thing when you sign an insurance contract. Mm -hmm. However, I feel when you deal with other people, you just uh, miss out on the upside. And I feel like if you approach interactions with other people just on a more wholesome basis, I mean, you cannot analyze uh, uh, the specifics of a potential relationship. You kind of look at it as a whole and then you like, I like it. Mm -hmm. And you go with it. And I mean, the fact that it's so hard for people is visible in this example of the $1 because literally that was the extent of what they could have lost. Like worst case scenario would have been I just walk away with it. <laughs> um, they still would have gotten a good story out of it, I guess. Um, by the way, I didn't. And within actually 24 hours, everybody who spent that dollar got probably like, you know, the equivalent of 20 times the return. Um, but I mean, again, and I felt like if I had to explain that to people, if I had to tell people what they're going to get in return for that $1, it, it that wasn't the people who I wanted to get involved in this, right? I mean, because that immediately showed, okay, they're thinking about this in a transactional way, not in a cool, let's do this way. And uh, I witnessed that quite a lot in this little experiment. It's like just who takes something and um, who, who looks at someone and thinks, yeah, that's going to work or I, whatever it is, I think that's going to be cool and then rolls with it. Uh, this this intuitive decision making without involving necessarily the transactional part of our brains. Mm -hmm. And um, personally, I mean, that's what I look now in business. When I talk to other people, I look at okay, who's on board with you know the idea, with the people behind the idea, because those are the things that I feel convey the are the biggest influencers. Yeah. Looking at it from a purely transactional point of view, like looking at every deal, like, okay, what is exactly what I put in? What is exactly what I get out? What is like, I mean, ROI is important, but I feel in relationships, it's the wrong approach. Yeah, I mean, it's important to, to, to look at the size and frequency of the waves on the beach when deciding to surf and see if there's any sharp pieces of coral that are going to rip you up if you fall off the board. And you've also got to like, hey, is, am I just enjoying going here? So same thing with a business deal. Do, you know, do the numbers work? And is there some connection here? Is there a bigger purpose going on? Um, I, I know I was listening to some investment um, last year on a private investment um, group I'm in. 
And the numbers and the logic sounded great. You know, it was going to pay 30% interest over, uh, you know, API, and it was a bridge loan kind of thing. Okay. And, but the guy, you know, the people, the CEO and his, you know, legal counsel dude who was on the, the call, they just didn't have any passion, you know, and the, there was something off. So I didn't invest. And I'm glad they didn't because they went bust and didn't, even though they had all these guarantees in the paperwork, none of the guarantees right. actually paid off. So now they're in a mega lawsuit and who knows when people are going to get their money back. I think I think that's actually um, really also something I noticed when I first uh, moved my business to Thailand because I came here with very little knowledge of um, the specifics of the legal system and we got contracts that people placed in front of us and that were entirely in Thai and um, sure I could have you know had it gone to a lawyer get it translated get it evaluated and all that but in the end what we ended up doing is we looked at who were we doing business with. Were they going to, do they look like they're going to pull a fast one on us or were they looking like, okay, this is a good thing? And we looked at, you know, how do people usually do business? And we just kind of took a leap of faith. I mean, we got some kind of uh, alternative translation in English and kind of signed the Thai version as agreed on in the English version, fully knowing, of course, that on a Thai court, they're going to use the Thai version no matter what's written down there. So, you, I mean, you get to court with someone, the whole game is off anyway, you know? Right, I mean, right. I mean, you lose, like... <laughs> yeah, even if you win the lawsuit, you lose because you've lost the relationship. You've lost all the energy and time uh, in there. So, I mean, picking up the, your intuition that, hey, this is a good person to do business with. I know we can work it out in a relationship. You know, even if this project doesn't work out, things will be okay. I think that's a, a good thing. And if, if there's, a, you know, I get an intuitive message that, hey, this person is something not right here just I, I don't do the deal and that, right. that applies to clients it applies to hiring people uh, applies to business deals investments relationships yeah I mean that's uh, I think especially in the uh, US or Europe we are very much focused on the legal wording and of course part of that is because we can have trust in it because it's enforceable but yeah in general I mean what the important part is is everybody going into this with good faith is everybody really excited about it you know is, well, that, and is everyone that's what matters is everyone clear on what the vision is is everyone aligned energetically with supporting that i mean i started the business with a business partner and for me the two questions were is he smart and uh, can we resolve conflicts in a good way Mm -hmm. And uh, those were pretty much the only things I thought about. And uh, I, I didn't I think about in, you know, do we have a shared direction we're going in too? Because someone could be smart and you could resolve conflicts, but they have a different vision for the business than I do. I think there was differences in vision. And um, in the end, after about seven years, that ended up in us going separate ways. But we did so amicably. So we mm -hmm. found a resolution that, you know, made everybody... Uh, I mean, that's the other thing. It wasn't, we could have designed, actually, the first contract we designed was a bit more specific. And then we reincorporated in Thailand. We basically just said, we didn't even write down the specifics. I mean, we had used a standard 50-50 contract and, um, you know, where every, well, lots of people advise against it. But, I mean, we knew what the chemistry was between us and how to... Uh, handle things and it's maybe not something I would give as advice but the main point was that if we had 
fought over this, it doesn't matter what the contract would have said. It would have been really, really bad. So I think the main point yeah. is finding a way to deal with people without going in that direction. And um, that is really less of a focus on the specifics and transactional terms. It's like going to a surf trip, right? If you say, um, let's go to a surf trip, and the other person is like, well, who's coming? <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, okay, they're immediately thinking about, okay, what am I going to get out of this? Who am I going to get meet? What's that for business? And it's like, you know, that that's already the wrong question in a way. I mean, sure, you, I mean, maybe they just want to avoid hanging out with someone who they don't like, but I feel like, uh, oh, who's coming? Uh who's you know who's driving like all these transactional questions i mean maybe there's a good reason to ask them because you've been on those things before but i mean the main point is are they going to be excited about surfing and are they cool mm-hmm. and uh in a way that's the same for business like are they excited about surfing is that what they generally want to do or are they going to just go there and uh uh, to try to find out who to hit on or who to uh, try to sell on their business idea or so like you know there's like this are they excited about surfing I think that's a really important question I feel like people uh, will, that's not the question you ask if you look at the ROI mm-hmm. so yeah and I think that applies to hiring too you know are they passionate about what they're going to be doing in my company and are they a cool person Mm-hmm. And, and exactly. Further down the list is, do they have some skill set that relates to this? But I think that's far less important than people rate it. You know, so many people just look at the resume and they're looking for keywords. And, and you've got to find the passion they have. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like, the, I'm sure you've heard of the um, Ernest Shackleton job ad he had. Uh, which one is that? It, it, he was doing an, an expedition to the Antarctic in like 1913 and he could have oh, said oh yes mm-hmm. yeah so he said you know looking for a few good men who like really hard times there's like a risk that you might not make it back uh, but if you do there will be honor and fame you know and it kind of filtered out for people who are passionate about going on a crazy expedition to the Arctic um, right as opposed to looking through their resume, you know, do you, have you walked in snow? You know, how many years, do you have five years experience in the Antarctic? You know, and it's like, well, <laughs> gee, like no one's really explored there. So you're not going to find that. But so many people when they're, you know, uh, hiring, they're like looking for the unicorn candidate uh, and they need to find the passionate horse who's prepared to do what it takes to, to get what needs to happen. I think part of that is because many hiring uh, decisions are driven by defensive thinking Um, in a way like, okay, if this goes wrong, do I have plausible deniability that I, you know, like, how do I, how do I make, how do I defend myself? You know, and many cases you can say, oh, it went wrong. Um, but I got the guy who had five years of experience. I got the guy who worked for the competitor before. I got the guy who ticked all the boxes, so I can't be blamed. Uh, um, so, I mean, I feel that's that is speaking from the logical transactional mind. I, they're looking right. to avoid blame. Right. Seeking out excitement and connection. I mean, the, I mean, that's kind of what I notice when I deal with you know, I sometimes uh, offer to help people out. And uh, I remember this one group that was doing cross-cultural management trainings. And uh, I mean, I've been running companies in Thailand for 10 years. I have a fluctuation rate that I know very, very few companies can match. Um, 
basically I, I have done cross-cultural management and it worked. And uh, then I, you know, sometimes when I, I mean, some people get that, you know, they read the blog and they share it with their friends and all that. And others are like, well, hmm. So do you have any theoretical background in, do you have any degree in this? And like, like you're, I, I mean, look at, I mean, you take a look at the person you took, what they're doing and what they've achieved. And then when you're still asking the resume questions, I think that's when you're thinking transactionally and you mm -hmm. think like, oh, okay, so let's look at that. I mean, I have, I walk, sometimes I walk into a room, I talk to someone two minutes and I know they're brilliant and I don't need to ask them, you know, where they went to school. Like, it's just immediately obvious. Um, and uh, without knowing the specifics, I can in many cases say, okay, I, this is a person I want to be more involved with or this is a person I want to be less involved with. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, that's definitely how it works with hiring. I mean, people are like, Uh, saying, oh, hiring happens in the first nine seconds or whatever first impression it conveys. And, you know, it's important that you have a good handshake. But that's, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly applying this transactional thinking to try to uh, influence uh, non-transactional perception. And right. uh, it doesn't work like that because it comes across as fake. And um, so I feel like, yeah, it's, Uh, that's kind of really the deciding factor. Do you do you think someone is going to be well cool? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, the handshake, how they're dressed, you know, how their body language is, can all give clues to that to the rational mind. Uh, but really, it's the energy because people can fake out a lot of that stuff. Right. Um, Which is why it's so much easier to, to get this info in person or, or even on the phone versus in email. Um, you know, there's a lot more context to, to your intuition to chew on there. But, but it is, you know, the more you, I use intuition, I can pick this stuff up in, in email or in social profiles. Um, I mean, that's one of the things I've been doing in hiring recently. I always ask the candidates for their Facebook, LinkedIn, and any other social media profiles. Mm -hmm. Because I can, I mean, I get practical information. I can tell if someone's a bit of an asshole on their Facebook. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, people worry about, you know, oh, Facebook party pictures and all that. And I'm, like, I'm not, I don't care about that. I care about exactly. how do they interact with other people. You know? I think that's really the, yeah. I mean, I remember there was this, I was buying, um, someone was selling their board game collection. Mm -hmm. This was like on a Facebook group and he was selling it for a few hundred dollars. Mm. And if you don't know board games, board games have hundreds of parts. It's mm. impossible to check if they're complete. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm spending a few hundred dollars and if there, you know, if there's some key pieces missing, that would be, you know, meaning they're, you know, worth, like if it's important, like this can destroy the game. So I'm, you know, it's a bit of a risk. And, um, I never heard of the guy, so I opened up his Facebook page, and like, I'm not sure, within less than 10 seconds, I'm like, okay, he's legit. Just based on the type of content he choose to share and how, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, I think he was, he recently got married, did pictures of mm -hmm. his wedding, but it was kind of low-key, so I was like, the, the, it's hard to describe. See, I can't, you know, I can't list out the bullet points that I... Well, and, uh, and if you did list them out and you gave them to your VA to screen, they wouldn't do as good a job as your intuition did in 10 seconds. 
Right. I just looked at that for, you know, and like, yep, that's good. And that's and I what really, I do with the job hiring. You know, I, I don't scan for certain rules, right? I'm getting an overall feel for the person. I think, I mean, I, I absolutely think for myself and for many other people, this is a really good way to go about it. What I, when I talk to some people who work for larger companies, though, I understand that for them the challenge is different because um, hiring policy, I mean, they have to come up with a hiring policy because they're going to hire a thousand people and uh, telling everybody just hire who you feel right. Um, maybe, maybe that would be a good way. Um, maybe, but the common way to do it is to um, have an assessment center and run people through that and it seems to work so uh, large companies seem to do well with that um, and I can understand that once there's more complexity maybe you do have to solve certain problems with certain um, processes and um, it's hard to do it the more intuitive way uh, have you heard of any large companies who are more intuitive who actually can stick to this Mm. Now that's a good question. Hadn't hadn't thought about that. Nothing's coming into my mind immediately, and I'm sure there are some that do that at least within certain people. You know, whether they have it as a company-wide policy, that's less likely. But I'm sure there are certain managers in companies who use their intuition when hiring. Uh-huh. Um, but wouldn't that be interesting if the whole company? What about Virgin? You know, Richard Branson's pretty openly uses his intuition. I, I wouldn't mm. be surprised if they um, are more into it. Whether they have a policy on it, I don't know. But, um, and I'll, I think Southwest Airlines comes to my mind too. And I don't mm. know if they do or not. That's just what came into my mind. Just because I know when I've flown on Southwest, they're, you know, the, pe- the people, the pilots and the flight attendants and the ground staff and whatever I interact with just have, uh, you know, a good energy. And it's like, that isn't accidental. I noticed that actually at, um, in Thailand, I noticed it at Starbucks. Mm. Um, less so in, I mean, in other countries, but in Thailand, I really noticed it that Starbucks, the uh, engagement people have with their work and with their customers mm. is um, yeah, they have a way above average. little playfulness. Right, right. And I mean, hard facts play a role. Like, you know, if you if your pay is above average or sufficient, it's not the reason that it's not doesn't make you unhappy. It's pretty like that. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that that's a hard factor. Um, but other soft factor are like company culture. Yeah, I remember. And I mean, it's a very it's a very uh, I mean, that's something you can approach in a strategic way. But um for a small company, the company culture is the personality of the founder. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I, I'm not sure why I read it, but that always rang very true. You can't foster um, a culture of, you know, people being super dedicated if the founder isn't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works. So I think you can't foster, uh, um, <laughs> I remember very early on in our business, uh, we thought our office was too quiet. We thought, you know, people were just like heads down in their work. And uh, so we're like, guys, you can go around and talk to each other. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was, uh, I mean, we were like early 20s or so. We're just trying to figure out 
why is our company culture so awful? And uh, well, it was because we were really just focusing on the results. We were like, okay, so these are the things that need to get done. Here is what this person needs to do to make that happen. Uh-huh. And uh, it was not a very empowering management style. It wasn't very a management style that people buy into. And it made people feel like they have to hunker down on their work. And um, doing things in a less structured manner than like just giving people, uh, for example, rather than telling people how to do things, you just tell them what needs to be done or even tell ask them to at a later stage to say okay what do you want to do and that's kind of when you that's when you get buy-in because you literally ask the people okay what is it that you want to work on and what do you think will help us and uh, that kind of helps also put them or gives them a framework of thinking along okay what would be good for the company and uh, that really um maybe shifts the mindset from oh I just have to finish this so I don't get punished to oh that's interesting what can we do Mm. so coming back to that the company culture coming from the founder I think that is true because that's the default place it comes from and it is possible to consciously create a culture that doesn't just come from your personality Um, just by choosing consciously what you want to create and looking at the energy of the company and, and what would it taking to get to the culture you want to create. Um, so, how would you approach that? So, I would write out, you know, I get clear in my own mind what culture I want to create, you know, what energy do I want the company to have, what kind of behaviors am I looking for. And then I would compare that, if the company already exists, I'm comparing it to what already exists to see how I'm going to shift it. And I can ask, well, what would it take to shift the culture? Or if it's a new company, I'm like, well, what would it create, take to create this? So, like, let's have an example here. You know, uh, I want to have a company where everyone comes to work passionate and they, you know, positive problem solving. What would it take? to create that what would it take to find people who have that you know where could I look to find potential ideal uh, staff for this company what would it take to have an office that that supports that then I get ideas for locations and you know what kind of building and and what kind of environment so that that's an example of that and that, that that may not be identical to the personality of the founder. Mm-hmm. It's that's that's difficult though. I think doing something that you're not fully personally in sync with, even if you might like the outcome, is I think that takes a long time to really align yourself with that. I mean, it for me, for example, more, it takes more energetic ability. You know, you've got to have more magical ability in your business to do that, or you hire someone who helps you do it. It's the other way around that. Right. I think that uh, helps if you bring on like a business partner who has like compliments you in that way, or, or someone who's a branding expert that helps with that aspect of things, or someone who consults on, you know. I don't know what the title of these people are, but I know there are people who help set up how offices are and how their energy is. 
you know, the Chinese mm-hmm. business people are often into this. They do all like this, feng shui and yeah, feng shui and how where it's located and what date you start it and that. And they get pretty serious about that, you know. It's it's a thing in Thailand as well. Like uh, people uh, care about those things, mm-hmm. and um, I feel some of those are intuitive. Like you don't want to sit at the end of a long corridor. So if there's like some kind of corridor at the office, you don't want to have one desk that sits at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, in uh, Feng Shui, it's like, oh, you are at the end of an arrow and that's bad energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I just feel like that's weird if people walk towards me all the time or even worse, walk behind my back towards me all the time, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how the desk is oriented. So, you know, you have to find things that you put up plans to kind of create some kind of barrier and um, so part of that is even with someone with no background in that is intuitive other things like I think the location of water or like fountains or pictures of water and uh, play a role mm-hmm. and I think there it's just about okay realizing um, okay that's important for people and uh, in a way um, a good way I feel to well transactionally think about relationships if that you know if that if you if it doesn't come natural to you to think about it more wholesome mm-hmm. the transactional way to think about it is um, the importance of a thing is uh, defined by like the, the importance of a thing for someone else um, is defined by the importance of your relationship to that person so in other words if you have you know, your relationship with the staff is very, very important. And even though if the things that are important to them are not important to you at all, just based because of this relationship being important, those things should also be important. Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't care whether the water picture or the fountain is placed in the room and you think it's uh, a waste of time to think about that. You've got to realize this is important for people who are important to you. Mm-hmm. So um, realizing things, the importance of different issues for the people that are important to you. Some people try to explain that away. They try to convince it and say, oh, wait, you know, you gotta, you gotta know this, this water picture is not gonna change our numbers. Um, but it's really more about, okay, realizing the importance of things in the environment, in business, or maybe just when they get days off, or you got to know what's important to the people who are important to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are things you should care about. And so I think I, that, yeah, uh, I think that's, yeah, yes, and that's true. Um, you know, paying attention to your clients and employees and vendors and noticing what's important to them. And everyone, it's like that book. You, you read the book, The Five Love Languages, I'm guessing? The you know, five? Five Love uh, Languages that some people mm, receive. Nope love or appreciation through words, others through acts of service, others through gifts. You know, there's five different ways people feel love. And I'm not talking about uh-huh. romantic love here. Like in a business, people feel loved by the owner or the boss, right? And mm-hmm. the thing is, some people want to be told, yeah, you're doing a good job. And other people want to be given a little gift. And other people would like them to do something for you, you know, take them out for a meal or whatever. Um, you know, there's different ways that people can feel appreciated. And if you try and, if the person who wants to receive like a, 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 a pat on the back physically 
yeah, it's told they're doing a good job. It just doesn't feel the same, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So um, I can see that if, if culturally, if you're employing people from a different culture and, and having good feng shui in the office is important to them, they're going to feel appreciated that you paid attention to that. And I think that stuff does actually shift the energy of the business. Um, mm-hmm. I think but that's e- a very even, good point. even if you don't personally believe it and all your staff do, it's going to make them work better. So, but I think it does actually shift the business's energy. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, at what point does something start to exist? Um, and I think in it's we're, we're, getting, we're getting we're, we're getting we're getting into a very uh, uh, performative way of thinking. But if everybody believes it exists, then it exists. Because if every, if everybody thinks something exists, then that made up thing has consequences does, 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 it shapes the world does, like it does business culture really exist can you point to me in your office and say here's the culture michael mm. no it's like a feeling everyone has mm. well yeah. i mean what is um I, w- I was joking with my business partner about uh you know uh santa claus and uh, he's like well santa claus many people believe in them many people design their actions around the belief of Santa Claus and you know it has real life consequences on our mm-hmm. life it decides in how we do our advertising it decides how mm-hmm. we uh, the stories we tell our children it's like in a way Santa Claus exists just as much as the concept of capitalism or uh, <laughs> it, it, it exists because everybody believes it does mm-hmm. um if everybody stopped believing, it doesn't matter if it's Santa Claus or money, um, it would cease to exist. It just exists because of the belief, and uh, it doesn't matter what you know if we what we believe is accurate. It has an actual consequence, and it shapes our world, and it shapes our actions, and such. It actually means it believes, so um, it exists. So I think, yeah, I mean, if everybody in your company believes a, a certain thing. In a way, that thing is real. I definitely is real, and it, it will affect how your business goes. You know, I mean that both that acts on the positive side of things. You know, if everyone believes that Starbucks is a great place to work and that they give good experiences to the people ordering coffee and snacks, then that's what's going to. And that, I mean, Starbucks is not in the business of selling coffee. Right, that's incidental. They're in the business of giving an experience to people who happen to be buying coffee, and that's why people are paying, you know, five dollars for a cup of coffee, and not the one dollar they could pay at Dunkin' Donuts. Right, and um, I think that's the uh, really the thing to understand is, I mean, when looking at other businesses, I mean, if people look at Starbucks and think, oh, you need to have comfortable chairs and then you can sell uh, coffee for $5. Um, but that's not it, right? No, there's a whole energy that occurs in that business, uh, which is partly, um, you know, the culture. I think when people try to copy a business, copy a competitor or enter a new market, um, I like they, they do what I like to call uh, cargo cults. Have you heard of cargo cults? 
Um, that's where the plane drops some stuff on a, on a South Pacific island and people worship the cans of Coca-Cola. Um, similar. What happens is like the plane drops the stuff. I mean, this was in World War II. They built uh, airports on the South Pacific islands and there were planes flying in and dropping supplies. Uh, I mean, the uh, people originally living on the islands, they've never seen a plane before. They've never seen an airport before. They had no concept of, uh, you know, what this is. So the best framework they, in their worldview they could put it is that this is kind of an act of God. Wow. So these foreigners had built these kind of temples and then things started falling from the sky. They built a runway and then suddenly things fell from the sky so what the locals did is they built entire airports from clay and straw like they made a mock-up of an airport thinking that is what will entice the gods to send things from the heavens and um, it didn't work surprisingly um, but the point is like just because you copy what you see or just because you copy what you understand within your own framework doesn't mean you get it doesn't mean you get the essence right mm -hmm. i see that a lot with hostels mm. people are like oh you just need to have a cool looking you know trendy looking uh, common room and stack 20 beds in a in a trendy in a dorm and you have a working business but that's what you see that's like the the the, the runway you know the, the straw made runway it's not what lies at the core of their success. It's not the reason. And I feel that realizing in business, I think, what this essence is, what this, um, or realizing when you don't have the right framework to explain something, I think that gives you a lot of information. And, you know, you can, I mean, knowing that it's an airplane, you don't bother building an airport out of straw. Um, <laughs> knowing that it's the community feeling in a hostel that actually gets it to get good ratings and that's why people come there is kind of something you can realize and then maybe try to emulate. So I think capturing the essence of, a, of an idea of a business is more important than, you know, getting all the parameters right because it's probably just the parameters that you can, uh, that you can perceive. Mm-hmm. Right, it was more in the subconscious that, that comes up. So you've got to get going in the right direction and get clear on what you're creating. And, the, you know, you'll get the initial details right. You're going to refine that as you create the business. Um, and I, I think you asking what would it take is a good way to get to that, you know, get that information faster. You know, what, Here's the, you know, I want to create a hostel with this atmosphere. What would it take to create that and get inspired inspiration as to what location to use or what architecture or whatever the, the criteria is? Right. So, yeah. Cool. Well, it's been an incredible conversation, Carsten. So, oh. um, Tell folks how they can find you if they want to learn more about you. I so I run a blog that is called karsteneichholz.com. And uh, if you can type that into your browser without knowing German and get the domain right, I think I owe you a coffee. <laughs> um, 
I'll spell it so, out for people. It's Carsten uh, is K A R S T E N, and then Arschholz is A I C H H O L Z. Two H's in that. So. Yeah, that that's cool. Are you going to have show notes? I will have show notes, so you can cool. give me the extra info you want to share. So, um, and I will get a transcript as well. Cool. So the other thing, actually, what I'm really working on right now, I mean, I have one that is, so I have, uh, the project I'm mostly spending my time on right now is a site called Thailand Starter Kit, which is mm. um, a guide to pragmatic issues expats have in Thailand. So it's very, it's kind of the opposite. It's just like getting all the transactional stuff right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what I noticed happening is people, I mean, these guides are like super detailed and they look at things like health insurance and renting a place, hiring a lawyer, all this. And what I noticed that people ask for, for in that project is usually, okay, I can see you've done your research. I can see you know your stuff. Now just tell me what to do. I'll trust your judgment on that. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I probably should uh, have some management summary. But yeah, that's kind of what I mostly work on nowadays. Um, but yeah, honestly, if you want to more the philosophical musings, the more thoughts about uh, business, games, I'm a huge gamer, and the interaction with uh, business, uh, yeah, my personal website is the place to go. Excellent. Well, I will check it out again. I've been there before for your blog. So lots of interesting things there. And I know you're an expert on Thailand, having been here for is it eight years now. Uh, we're getting close to 11 now, actually. 11, wow. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us and for sharing your thoughts on business intuition and surfing and hiring people and culture. It's been an amazing conversation. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, bye. All right. Get strategies and show notes at intuitiveleadershipmastery.com. What would it take to see you here next time on the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast?